Hello there, I'm Kios Ronin Beatmaker, and welcome to Lounge Ronin, all things, everything. To learn more about myself and how you can support Lounge Ronin, head over to my Patreon page at Ronin Art and Music. If you're interested in reaching out, follow me on social media, on Twitter, Ronin Art and Music, or at me at Kios Ronin, K-O-I-O-S-R-O-N-I-N. On Instagram, follow me at RoninArt underscore music. And if you prefer, hit me up at my email at RoninArtAndMusic09 at gmail.com. And if you're listening to this on your preferred streaming service, please make sure to subscribe. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure to subscribe, leave a comment and a review, and slap that notification bell. On Apple Podcasts, Please make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review as this will help me and the podcast grow. Stay positive, stay focused, stay true, and much love. Hello there, I'm Kiel Ronan Beatmaker, and welcome to Lounge Ronin. All things, everything. And on this episode, we're going to discuss, well, before we get into it, make sure you hit that like button. And hit that notification bell. And make sure to subscribe. And if you're new to the channel, please leave a comment with your thoughts below. And don't forget to subscribe. And on this episode, we're going to discuss the dynastic race. Now, as you guys know, I have been enjoying just going into the archives of this very interesting website called Ancient Origins and looking for interesting topics and little little grains of evidence to connect little dots for my own personal research. And uh, I came across a... um, an interesting story, and uh, I, f- I figure I would share with you guys, and uh, it has to do with uh, post the deluge, or the uh, the great flood, and uh, I've been really interested in uh, a lot of the um, these biblical stories and the fact that there seems to be clear uh, connection between similar stories that are told um, in various parts of the world. Uh, They all seem to have a very similar story to a great flood and this deluge. 
And, you know, if you look at the, you know, the Younger Dryas impact, if you look at the water erosion on the Sphinx, you know, these uh, particular um, discoveries add more credence to, you know, the, the story in the Bible, um, the, the, the story in, in, in uh, Mesopotamian mythology, the story in Egyptian mythology, the story in Greek mythology, uh, you know, these pre, you know, uh, pre-Young Adrias, uh cultures and post-Young Adrias cultures or I should say pre-deluge and post-deluge cultures. And I think it's interesting as more and more evidence and stories are being brought to light, uh, we're learning more and more about our hidden history and the true history and how much we really don't know about this world and past civilizations, uh, especially the ones that there's clear indications that they were highly advanced, highly sophisticated, uh, uh, technologically advanced, spiritually advanced. You know, who, who were these, these cultures? I mean, or, or also, can I say races? Because you know, if, if you've uh, checked out my live stream episode where I, I talk about um, the the race of elongated uh, skull humanoids, uh, then you'll understand what I mean about how, you know, there's clearly more um, mysteries to be unraveled about planet Earth and its uh, previous occupants and uh who were they? What were they? And if they're still even around. But I like this article because it, it uh, it's interesting and it kind of just connects to a lot of a lot of things that I've been looking at and looking into, and in, uh, future topics that we'll discuss in future uh, live streams. And uh, so I'm looking forward to uh, jumping into this. Uh, but before we get into it, I want to make one more quick shout out to my podcast listeners. If you are listening to this on Lounge Ronin Podcast, please make sure to share the podcast and download. And head over to Ronin Art and Music YouTube page and share your thoughts below. Let me know if you're listening on the podcast side. But let's get into this article. All right. It was written by Alexander Jacob, uh, January 15, 2021. The Dynastic Race and the Biblical Joseph, Part 1. After the deluge. Oh, look. Donna Summers. Shout out to Donna. What? Today she died? May 17, 2012. Okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I didn't even know she died. Okay. Well, anyways, sorry about that. The imperfect state of archaeological research in the Near East impedes any definite 
identification of the original race or races that created the earliest civilizations of Mesopotamia and Egypt. According to Gorgon Child, however, the predominant racial element in the earliest graves in the region from Alm to the Danube is the Mediterranean. So we may presume, presume that these early cultures were founded by the genius of the broad racial group. The Dali Chocephalic, the Dali Chocephalic Mediterranean or brown race may thus have constituted the earliest strata of the populations of Asia, Egypt, and Europe. Which is interesting because um, there is a article I remember seeing a while back about black uh, Chinese people, um, which would be very interesting if it, if this would, uh, you know, I'm going to try to find that article if it connects to this possible genealogical, genealogical connection. Uh, so in front, we got a picture of two Mediterranean uh, Dali Sophalia types. It's a photo from 1897. So, yeah, they look, they look, you know, like person brothers, pretty much. Uh, uh, Genesis as a genealogical resource. Okay, let's see what this is all about. Given the difficulty of uh, describing, uh, describing, yeah, describing the racial identities of the peoples related to the earlier describing, I think, yeah, they made a typo there. Yeah, given the difficulties of describing the racial identities of the peoples related to the early cultures of the Near East, we may attempt to derive a fuller view of the affiliations by restoring the sacred and mythological texts. In this regard, the biblical table of nations in Genesis 10.11 is, is of considerable value. Genesis 10.1 gives Shem... Ham and Japheth as the and, and Japheth as the three sons of Noah. Ah, okay. Genesis 11:2 also mentions that Shem, Ham and Japheth uh, originally lived together and journeyed from the east, presumably Elm, to Shinar or Sumer from Emazia dialect Shanji, uh, Sumerian Kendri, the Semitic, Hamatic, and Japhetic peoples mentioned in the Bible are thus all closely related as part of the original Noah Childian race. Noah Childian race. All right. Interesting. This is, you know, what's kind of interesting about this, right, is like the way, you know, they're talking about using uh, Genesis, you know, the Bible as a genealogical resource. And I think which is what's interesting about that is then if we were to go to further ancient texts and manuscripts, how was uh, genealogy uh, described? Because if we look at the, you know, Sumerian's king tablet, 
you know, it gets into some really funny territory when you look at how long these kings reigned for. You know, we're talking hundreds, even thousands of years. So it's it's very interesting as to you know how far back are are we talking about in terms of the the birth of nation the, the table of in terms of the genesis and in relation to the table of nations. Um, this is very interesting. You know, because we you know we look at you know as as many people may be aware of you know genealogy is such a hot button topic right now in terms of uh, corporations using uh, uh, genes for, you know, data mining and harvesting and, and selling that data, whether it's to, you know, to other corporations, to pr private contractors, you know, um, the military and corporate and, and uh, the military corporate military industrial complex. So you have all these, you know, many different entities that are very interested in the data that can be found in genes and and uh, and and in the data, it's very interesting stuff because you know whether it's you know these um, what is it um, family tree or whatever those things are called, um, you know I wouldn't I I wouldn't touch any of those because of some very dangerous biological uh, weapon applications that they are using. A lot of that data for um, you go out there you can find it um, I'm not gonna get too much into the weeds because that can get kind of controversial and I don't want to get my channel in trouble so I'm not gonna get too deep into that stuff but <clears throat> you know regardless there was a, uh, a researcher I can't think of his name at the time but you know he did do some research into DNA and he you know was there to kind of say that hey there's like a, a code in our DNA, there seems to be some sort of message that is written within our DNA. And, and from the recesses of my mind, from what I remember, he was kind of connecting it to um, uh, old uh, Hebrew um, uh, uh, wording and language that was, you know, going, you, you know, further back into Mesopotamia, further back into Anaki times. So, you know, DNA is a very fascinating and wonderful thing that just as much as our brain, we still don't know much about. We we still don't know much about DNA that they 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 tell us we don't know much about. But you know, let's let's be let's be real here. You know, they're telling us. You know, they say, "Oh, we're not cloning humans," and and then you hear these these weird stories coming out of China and then you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> they, you know, they say they're not cloning humans, but they, they are. But I'm getting off topic. Let's get back to it. According to the Table of Nations in Genesis 10.22, the earliest Semites were located in Elam in Western Iran and contributed to the neighboring Assyrian state as well as, to, as well as well as to the formation of the uh, Aramean and Hebrew races. The Alamite language, however, is unlike the Semitic. Um, agulative, agulative, and bears similarities with Hurrian and Dravadian 
F. Bork and G.W. Brown, for instance, have revealed the intimate linguistic relationship between Hurrian along with its Mitannian dialect, Alamite, and Dravidian. In the context, we may recall that according to the uh, Bhagava Puriya, um, 24, the, survivor, the savior of the flood, Manu, the counterpart, is himself called uh, Satyavata, king of Davidia. Now, that was quite a handful for me to take in, to, to, to pronounce, so excuse me if I take a moment to compose myself. <laughs> But I want to jump over to this uh, Manu, the counterpart of Noah, um, because, you know, and right here, before I jump into that, you, you look right here and you have the genealogical table of the descendants of Noah. And you have the three brothers or his three sons. Um, which would then create the first three races, which would then, you know, split off from what we're understanding here. But the reason why I wanted to jump into this, the counterpart of Noah, is because I find that really interesting. Because, like I was saying earlier, how there tends to be these, um, the story of the of the great flood is everywhere. It seems to be a story that we're seeing occur in many different cultures throughout the world. I see we have a new arrival in the uh, live stream. Thank you so much for hanging out. Please feel free to hit that like button and put a thumbs up if you're enjoying the show so far. Okay. Startling similarity between Hindu flood, legend of Manu and the biblical account of Noah. All right. Now, this article was released April 30th, 2015. Um, I'm assuming that these are probably the acronyms for the writer, D-H-W-T-Y. All right. In 1872, the amateur assyriologist George Smith made a discovery that would shock the world. While studying, a, while studying a studying a particular tablet from the ancient Mesopotamian city of Nivea, he comes across a story that many would have been familiar with. When Smith succeeded in uh, deciphering the text, he realized that the tablet contained an ancient Mesopotamian myth that paralleled the story of Noah's Ark from the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. Now, if, 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 you, if you know anything about your history, um, you know that, you know, the, you know Mesopotamia predates uh, the book of Genesis, predates the establishment of Christianity. Um, Buddhism predates the establishment of Christianity. So just to give everyone a little bit of a, of a, of a context here. All right. Um, today, we are aware that flood myths are found not only in Near Eastern societies, but also in many other ancient civilizations throughout the world. Accounts of a great deluge are seen in ancient Sumerian tablets, the 
Deucalion in Greek mythology, the lore of the Keichi and Maya peoples in Mesoamerica, the, the Gonyu myth of China, the stories of La Corte Aurelius, the Ujabu tribe of North America, and the stories of Musica people, to name but a few. One of the oldest and most interesting accounts originates in Hindu mythology. And while there are discrepancies, it does bear fascinating similarity to the story of Noah and his ark. The Hindu flood myth is found in several different sources. The earliest account is said to have been written in the Vedic Sapatra Bahamana, whilst later accounts can be found in the Puranas, including the Bravagada, wait, the Bravagada Puna and the Masya Punana. <laughs> oh man, I need to put on for myself. As well as in the, oh my God, the Mahabharata. Regardless, all these accounts agree that the main character of the flood story is a man named Manu Vavasta. Like Noah, Manu is described as a virtuous individual. The Satafa Brahmaha, for instance, has this to say about Manu. There lived in ancient time a holy man called Manu, who, by penitence and prayers, had won the favor of the Lord of Heaven. Manu was said to have three sons before the flood, Charma, Sharma, Yapeti, while Noah also had three sons, Ham, Shem, and uh, Jesseph. And uh, below we have a, um, a picture of both of Manu and both of Noah and Manu as described as a virtuous man. Here we have a picture of Noah and his ark by Charles Wilson Pale, 1819. And I believe you know, we have animals. I think we have one of his sons caring for an animal. It could be his wife and his, his other sons in the background. In the book of Genesis, the cause of mankind's destruction is given as such. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination, ooh, and that every imagination of, <laughs> of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repent, uh, repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. <laughs> well, for, for the podcast listeners, uh, as, as you know, uh, ads pay the bills, and occasionally we get some very um, oh, Ill illicit ads. <laughs> All right, so here we have a picture. I am not even going to attempt the name of this picture because I think that would actually turn my my tongue into a knot. But it's essentially described uh, is a picture of the Great Flood, and we have Noah's Ark in the background as people and animals drown. <laughs> 
In the story of Manu, however, the destruction of the world is treated as part of the natural order of things, rather than as a divine punishment. It is written in the Matsya Puna that Manu then went to the foothills of Mount uh, Malya and started to perform Tapsya meditation. Thousands and thousands of years passed. Such were the powers of Manu's meditation that Brahma appeared before him. Hmm. I am pleased with your prayers, said Brahma. Ask for a boon, favor. I have only one boon to ask for, replied Manu. Sooner or later, there will be a destruction, pralya, and the world will no longer exist. Please grant me the boon that it will be I who will save the world, and it begins at the time of the destruction. Brahma readily granted this boon. In the flood myth from the Old Testament, God who saves Noah by instructing him to build an ark. In the Hindu version of the story, it is also through divine intervention in the form of the god Vishnu that mankind is preserved from total destruction. In this story, the god appears to Manu in the form of a little fish whilst he was performing his absolutions in a pond. Manu kept the fish, which grew so quickly that its body occupied the entire ocean in a matter of days. It was then that Vishnu revealed his identity to Manu, told him about the impeding destruction and the way to save humanity. There is also a large boat involved in this story too. Vishnu instructed Manu to build a boat to fill it with animals and seeds to repopulate the earth. Fascinating. O kind-hearted man, you have care in your heart. Now listen now. Soon the world will be submerged by a great flood and everything will perish. You must build a strong ark and take a long rope on board. You must also take with you the seven sages who have existed since the beginning of time. And seeds, and seeds of all things and a pair of each animal. When you are ready, I will, come to, I will come to you as fish and I will have horns on my head. Do not forget my words. Without me, you cannot escape the, from the flood. When the time came, Manu was to tie the boat to the horn of fish so that it could be dragged around. Interestingly, that would not only be the only time that Vishnu saves mankind from destruction, as he would reappear as avatars over the course of time to preserve life on Earth. All right. Now, you know, what's interesting about that, well, before I get into that, uh, we here we have a picture of Vishnu, and uh, he is speaking with Manu, and you, you see Vishnu with his four arms, his blue skin, and he has, essentially, it's like a mermaid. He essentially looks like a mermaid. Now, you know, if you know anything about, like, Inki and Inlil and these two brothers who are the Anunnaki 
and you know the whole battle over earth and preserving humanity and i i cannot remember which brother it was who believed in humanity and wanted to preserve humanity and you know if you you know he is there are many stories where a character very similar who keeps on preserving humanity through these multitude of you know we can call them resets of of humanity and you know we're getting in this interpretation that it is of a natural course whereas in the bible and in other stories and you know stories even in the anunnaki stories sumerian stories you know it's like hey we we don't like this version and uh we want to get rid of you you know and that ties into the mining of gold and you know the, the astronaut theory and things like that of that nature if you know, if, if you're into that, into that bread and butter, uh, I, I'm I'm getting I'm under the impression that it's also kind of connecting into and referencing those stories as well. Oh my lord, these ads are wild today. After the flood, Noah's Ark is said to have rested on mountains of Arat. Similarly, Manu's boat was described as being perched. On the top of a range of mountains, the Malana Mountains in this case. When the waters subsided, both Noah and Manu were then said to repopulate the earth, and all human beings could trace their ancestry to either one of these flood survivors. Now, here we have a picture of Noah's Ark on Mount Arat by Simone de Malai. 15 AD. And that concludes this article. And below we have its references. Now there is a part two. I will be coming up with a part two in due time, pretty soon. But that's pretty interesting. I find, you know, see, I'm, I'm really into this kind of stuff, but it, you know, it, it also just kind of connects to, you know, as I was talking about, you know, these, this, idea of these civilizations that you know that survived past you know uh, post the flood you know and if we kind of look at if, you know if we look if we use noah or manu and we look at the their their his sons you know who we we i don't know I'm, i might have to look into it if there are any discussions about their wives and who their wives were uh, but it, it kind of makes you wonder and for me personally is of were Noah and Manu were they of the pre um, the pre-deluge uh, race of, of of humans because it's just, it's just kind of interesting because if you think about it right like this whole idea of um Noah, you know, kind of starting the, you know, restarting civilization. Uh, we have to kind of ask ourselves who were the who were the pre-deluge races? Who were they? A race, um, and what is their lineage? What is Noah's lineage uh, pre uh, the deluge? Who is his father? And I'm not. I'm. I'm. I could be wrong. Maybe there is information out there regarding uh those uh topics and information 
but it just kind of adds to the the mystery of of who who we are as a people and where our origins can be traced you know if because if if we're going to kind of connect with you know Graham Hancock's you know stories and and the the the, the discovery of the people who lived um, in North America during the Ice Age, I cannot think of their name right now. Um, we then have to kind of wonder, well, what does what what is those implications for these stories? You know, what about the implications of you know the fact that Egyptian priests, you know, had information about North America uh, that they gathered from previous in their libraries from previous civilizations. So it just kind of makes you kind of wonder, like, you know, and even with, you know, because they're, they're kind of in the article, they're kind of alluding to the whole Anunnaki uh, because of, you know, because if we're going to look at the, the, the Anunnaki and, you know, you look at Elohim, you look at Yahweh, you know, Buddha, Jehovah, Allah, Krishna, you know, Vishnu, <laughs> it's kind of all the same. Uh, so you kind of have to ask yourself, like, you know, since we're we're hearing the same narrative being told from different parts of the world, you know, is it the is the story one and the same in, in the sense that, you know, we, you know, you have this one person in, in a multitude of places around the world. I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing and just throwing out ideas because, you know, it, it's when you start kind of referencing and looking at other stories whether it's in the bible or whether it's in these various hindu texts you know you start seeing the similarities and you have to kind of start asking yourself like where did these similarities come from where do they originate from and by looking at this whole dynastic race you know it kind of begs the question in my mind you know what was the race then of noah uh if if his three sons are the ones who essentially kind of jump-started and repopulated this area of the world in the Middle East. Uh, it's just very interesting, you know, and high, how fitting that it would be in Iran, you know, Mesopotamia, Sumeria, that's the very same area, the Anunnaki. It's just all, it's all kind of connects. And it just, it adds to the the allure of you know, why these type of topics aren't necessarily discussed as publicly as they should be. And I just, I, you know, I know that for a lot of it, it's because, you know, it will, it would conflict with the narrative and a lot of people would, you know, you know, like I was saying earlier, you know, we're living in a time, you know, where everything is about race and, you know, this kind of stuff would, you know, inflame those type of uh, conversations and i can and i can already know the, the where people would go with this kind of information in fact you know it's going to be interesting uh in a future live stream where i will be discussing the origins of the aryan race and boy oh boy are you guys going to enjoy the plot twist on that one <laughs> man that one's really interesting but this right here it just the whole, you know, ge genealogy of humanity. And, you know, like I was saying, if you, if you, um, you know, check out my live stream or check out my, my, also my video where I talk about the elongated skulls. Um, 
and uh, it's called the the Cromwell the Cornwall Museum Live. That's the title of the video. And in that video, I talk about, uh, or I read an article essentially talking about how in the 1800s, in the early 19th century, they knew about a a separate species of of humans that lived on Earth, and they confirm it, and they've known about it, but they suppress that information. Until Brian Forrester comes out and does his um, studies and research and puts out his books. But, you know, the, the point of what I'm saying is that, you know, you look at these previous great cataclysms that happened on Earth. And, you know, you have to really ask yourself, who were those uh, people? You know, what were their heritage, their culture? What were their races? I mean, because we don't necessarily really know. We can only speculate and we can only go off of descriptions and manuscripts and texts and, you know, whether we have any uh, bones or remains and we can, you know, do you know, gene testing on that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it, it, we, we still, you know, get these roadblocks of of the history of life and, and the origins of people because, Sometimes certain information is purposely suppressed. You know, it's just really fascinating to me, um, these type of conversations and the, 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 the fundamental questions that arise from them. And, and the fact that, you know, a lot of this stuff is originating in, in various religious and, uh, and ancient texts that kind of make you wonder how advanced and, and how much more knowledge did the past have in relation to our origins and how much of that is lost and how much of that is suppressed and how much of that has yet to be uncovered. So I think those are just uh, things that we should kind of all ask ourselves as humans and, you know, kind of hold our institutions to account in regards to the blatant suppression of so much knowledge and history. And it's 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 doing a disservice to our uh, our purpose as humans, our spiritual purpose, and our um, self awareness of who we are as individuals, who we are as a species, and what that means for uh, this planet and how to move forward. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Lounge Rona. If you made it this far, please make sure to hit that like button and ring that notification bell and make sure to subscribe. And if you're new to the channel, please, and if you're catching the replay, make sure to hit that like button and leave a comment with your thoughts below. Share any knowledge or anything you learned from this that sparked any interest. And please feel free to leave some constructive criticism and make sure to share out this stream as that really helps the channel grow. And until next time, stay positive, stay focused, stay true, and much love. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Lounge Ronin. To learn more about myself and how you can support Lounge Ronin, head over to my Patreon page at Ronin Art and Music. If you're interested in reaching out, follow me on my social media on Twitter, Ronin Art and Music, or at me at Kios Ronin, K-O-I-O-S-R-O-N-I-N. On Instagram, follow me at Ronin Art 
underscore music. And if you prefer, hit me up at my email at RoninRMusic09 at gmail.com. And if you're listening to this on your preferred streaming service, please make sure to subscribe. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure to subscribe, leave a comment and a review, and slap that notification bell. On Apple Podcasts, please make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review as this will help me and the podcast grow. Stay positive, stay focused, stay true, and much love.